We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Get ready for Brexit on the 31st of October. Brexit will bring changes that affect businesses in many ways particularly if you buy from EU suppliers, sell to EU customers, provide services to EU clients, and receive customer data from other businesses in the EU. Businesses need to prepare. Find out how at gov.uk slash Brexit. Get ready for Brexit on the 31st of October. This is the Gator Nation football podcast. Powered by Campus Insiders, with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh, Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. It's finally here. It's Georgia week. We're going to play our second game in a month-long span. Can't wait for it after a bye week, which depends on how you feel about bye weeks, whether that was good, bad, or indifferent. But as always, I'm James DiVirgilio alongside Alan Williams. Alan, why don't you set us up for the show today? A couple of really fun guests. Richard Johnson, Gator grad, now writes for SB Nation. We're going to get a chance to talk to him and visit with a friend of mine, Georgia Superfan. He's going to tell us about, I think, Kirby Smart, Georgia fan experience. It's going to be a fun one. So, Alan, what'd you do during this bye week? I know that that for some people they love it. It's like a ch- hi. It's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the. Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the name your price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes blah blah blah, and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Chance to run errands and travel and see their family or do all these certain things without being uh, not slave, but certainly beholden to a football game. What was your experience with the bye week? So I was in a conference all week in Orlando and then tacked on a trip to Universal Studios there on Friday. 
So all Saturday, basically, I just watched wall-to-wall football, and it was glorious. Got to watch some games I probably wouldn't have watched had we had a home game. So that was really fun. What about you? My experience was a bit different. I left and headed to Chicago, uh, where the girl that I'm dating currently resides. She goes to Northwestern Law. So on Saturday, we went to the Northwestern versus Indiana game. It is quite a different experience to go to a Northwestern game. Um, It's kind of fun because it's really accessible. So you walk out of the end zone tunnel and you're like on the field and you go up into the stands and you feel like you're kind of on the field. It feels almost like a glorified high school game. But Northwestern is actually a decent team. They've done really well historically. They're getting better this year. They've got a young quarterback. Rather good game. But it's amazing when the pageantry is not there, how different college football feels. And I thought to myself... What would this game be like if Florida was playing in a stadium? And and you get an idea of how the pageantry, the stadiums, the SEC really does add to the experience significantly. It means a lot. It's not just the game on the field. There is a lot of what the fans and the energy that goes into these games that adds to it. And of course, I was also fortunate enough to spend the evening in Wrigleyville, where the Cubs, for the first time since 1945, earned a trip to the World Series. So Crazy. Great weekend in Chicago. Tons of fun. I did not get to watch a ton of college football. But I was aware of some of the rather seismic shifts that were going on on Saturday. Some big, big things happened. Let's start first nationally with the biggest thing that happened, which is Urban Meyer, who is flirting with disaster now for a couple of weeks, gets dropped by Penn State 24-21 on a rather exciting last play. Well, not last play, but the end of the game. Play. Yeah, blocked field goal, you know, scoop and score for Penn State. That was a cool atmosphere watching that on TV with their wide out. They've had some success with that, unlike other programs. And yeah, it was it was an excellent game. Ohio State, you know, I've been picking Michigan all year to make the college football playoff, and this that game made me feel more confident that they looked like they can't pass the ball. They're missing key receivers. I feel like um, they're not dynamic enough, and I don't know if they can adjust to the fact that teams are loading up against them. And that seems to be an important thing when you watch sports as the year goes on, is people are going to continually try to shoot darts at your weakness. And when they find your weakness, you need to be able to overcome it. And this is the third week in a row now where Ohio State has really struggled to pass the football. So the book is kind of out on them, uh, and it could be interesting to see what they do for the rest of the season against opponents that have the talent to match up. Another big note is that your boys for Houston – took what is most certainly a death blow as SMU waxed them 38-16. to And SMU is not a great football team. So very surprising result here. Yeah, I wonder if the Tom Herman hype train is starting to slow down a little bit, the, the Houston coach. Maybe the Chad Morris train picks up speed. Former Clemson offensive coordinator, you know, starting to look good out there at SMU. Yeah, you know, they've, they've been regressing. Um, I think for weeks, I'm not sure why I don't follow them closely enough. I, you know, I just like kind of the upstart Houston program, but yeah, pretty disappointing loss for them. I'm sure the but last, not, not totally unexpected the way they've been playing. No, but, but SMU was a team that struggled to beat. Well, not struggled, not the right word, played a close game against UMass in the game opener and is now throttling, uh, Houston. So either way, like you said, Tom Herman, I wonder if he's wishing maybe he left to get the bigger job or we'll see what happens there. Last national game we'll talk about, Oklahoma, Texas Tech. I mean, is this a basketball game? 66-59. to And looking at the stat sheet here, both teams had 854 yards of offense each. Exactly. What are the odds of having the same yardage of offense in the first place? But 854? And Texas Tech's quarterback threw for 700 
and 34 yards. That's a mind-blowing statistic. I mean, this was, you know, I don't even know how to describe this. I watched a little bit of it. Neither team could even come close to stopping the other team. And I, neither of these teams are play any kind of defense, but you would think at some point someone would throw an incompletion or something like that. I don't know. It was insanity. Um, that's the big 12 for you right now, though. I, I mean, everyone is just so loaded up on offense that they don't even come close to like getting each other's way. It's really incredible, and it's fun to keep the joke going that in the Big 12, no one plays defense, but that's that's all you're left with. So interesting weekend in the SEC. A lot, yeah. of, lot of results that you have to look at and say, hmm, hmm this is weird. Let's yeah. let's let's go let's through, through this in our in our weekly SEC roundup and, yeah. and give you some results in case you missed it. In case you were like me, and you didn't see a lot of the games. You just woke up to the results and you were thinking, "Wow, this is a rather momentous weekend." Yeah, let's you know, Gators were off. Let's look at what everybody else did. Uh, our friends at UMass staying pretty close to South Carolina, twenty-eight to thirty-four. Yeah, South Carolina had to run the clock out in the last four minutes of that game. They had to uh, take the ball and do it. They started a freshman quarterback. They were going to redshirt who actually did really well. So big improvement for them on offense to score 34 points at a Will Muschamp team. That's that's incredible. So good for good for them getting some offense going. In a similar kind of situation, but different result, Middle Tennessee State 51, Missouri 45. We talked about it. We've hammered on it on the podcast. Missouri gave up yet again over 500 yards. Middle Tennessee State gained 584 yards, which is more yards than we gained against Missouri. So we just keep saying it. It's weird with the schedule Florida's played. The SEC East continues to be really bad, relatively speaking. And Middle Tennessee State, while not a bad football team, is not a great football they're team. They're spunky on offense. Yeah, though. they're fine. But Missouri put up 600-plus yards. And either way, just no defense. And, and their coach is a defensive coordinator. Weird, weird result there for them. Bad, bad loss for them. Okay, Auburn, 56. Arkansas, 3. A total pantsing. They absolutely murdered them. I... I go to click on the game, it's already 21 nothing. That was an incredible demolition. I had a friend text me before, and he said, hey, I know you like Arkansas. You're kind of biased towards them. What do you think about Arkansas-Auburn? I said, I don't know what to think about that game, but you know, it's hard to beat Arkansas convincingly. That's kind of their MO. And Auburn just obliterated them. I mean, Arkansas had 25 rushing yards. Like, Auburn's defense has been good, but that that's insane to me. I mean, no one really has done that to Arkansas. They just annihilated them in every phase of the game, and it was not fluky. Arkansas never made it past Auburn's 35-yard line, which is amazing. you think just on accident you would do that. Auburn was averaging 10 yards a rush. So, I mean, I don't think Arkansas can stop anybody. I don't know. Vegas knew something because we were like, Auburn 10-point favorite? That seems high. <laughs> they uh, went well, well past that. And it bodes well for us that Arkansas got handled like that with Auburn's defense because similar yes. defense that we play. Yes. Lots of speed, very, very good defensive line. So that that's a, a notch to watch for us. Okay, Kentucky picking up a big win over Mississippi State. I guess you can call it a big win. The SEC East beats the West 40-38. to 38. Yeah, huge win. That's the first win for the SEC East over the West this year. So go Kentucky. Showing some signs of life. Mississippi State continues to flounder after graduating, I think, 18 or 19 seniors last year, which is absurd in the first place. Uh, Dan Mullen, I don't know if the the shine is off Dan Mullen if you're a Mississippi State fan. I think this is a natural year where you play in a really tough conference. You're starting a ton, a ton of young guys, but losing to Kentucky never feels good to anybody at any time. No, Stoops, maybe his seat getting a little less warm. They might get bowl eligible if things break their way. Uh, Vanderbilt, 35, Tennessee State, 17. Not much to say there. Um, 
LSU, though, resurgent LSU, 38 over Ole Miss, 21. You can begin to build a storyline that LSU is a is a very good football team and that maybe we should be thankful we didn't have to play them during the Hurricane game with all the injuries that we had. Uh, they've continued to make excellent second-half adjustments under Ed O. I mean, they've obliterated teams in the second half, just absolutely killed them. Same thing happened here. It was a tit-for-tat game, was tied up. Come out of the half, and LSU just ran off the field. So Leonard Fournette rushes for almost 300 yards on just 16 carries. Yeah, that was incredible. The guy's an absolute monster. They've really got things rolling on offense now. Um, they're looking to be very, very dangerous. And so it will be interesting to see how that SEC West shapes up. Ole Miss, of course, now totally out of the picture. But a team that is completely feisty week to week. So the West is just fascinating right now. And LSU, I am thankful that they play Bama before they play the Gators that you know, I feel like if they lose one game, they're going to lose a lot of their momentum because they're fired up right now. Uh, last one, Texas A&M, 14, Alabama, 33. Number one team just dismantles the number six team. Was Didn't even feel all that close, actually. No, it didn't. And, and Alabama's defense and Nick Saban continues to just be a master game planner with how he attacks teams. And he's obviously also a master communicator because he's able to get these guys to do what he wants them to do. And it's it, you're, it's like you're watching an NFL defense play against uh, college offense schematically. And Bama, of course, will make mistakes, but then they will also almost always score a touchdown on defense, which is what they did. That game was hanging still, as weird as it was. Like you said, Bama was dominating that game, but it was hanging in the balance. A&M was. was right there. And then the touchdown on defense just ended the game. Yeah, you know that's going to happen, though. Yep. I was Every waiting game. for it. Absolutely. And I was like, you know, A&M's hanging in there, but... Bama's going to do something to them on defense. There's going to be a pick six. Something's going to happen. You know, Trevor Knight, pretty game. Um, like, I don't know, result for him. He's, you know, always an intriguing guy, but not enough to put them over the top. Yeah, just can't say enough about Alabama, as frustrating as it is, because they go into what you consider to be a very difficult stretch of their schedule, three ranked teams in a row, and come out basically handily beating all of them. I mean, Nick Saban is the only coach that can do that. And yeah. it's, it's incredibly impressive. And it really skews the results for the rest of us that don't have Nick Saban as our coach. Okay, so the bye week is often a time for reflection here. Um, let me ask you, just step back a little bit from the results, and let me ask, where do you feel like the Gators' place is in the SEC? Well, right now, ranking-wise, I think we're sixth, if you just look at the standings. And where we are now is clearly behind Alabama. And from there, it gets kind of murky, uh, because... This year specifically, I definitely think you'd have to put us behind several West teams until proven otherwise. If you're thinking of like where's our pecking order going forward, maybe beyond this year, uh, that that's hard to figure out right now. But I'm going to say realistically when I take my Gator glasses off that in the past four years, we've been in the middle of the SEC to the to 10th. That's kind of where we are. Recruiting-wise, we've absolutely been behind the best recruiting teams in the SEC were at least fourth best there. So it seems like where we are is about right. Yeah, middle of the pack, I would say. You yeah. know, I would definitely not near the dregs. We've been handling our business against the lesser teams, but it feels like we're a few steps away from the better teams, you know. But I do feel like number two is up for grabs. You know, I who knows? Tennessee's looked good and bad. AM, you know, looked up and down. You know, they won that Tennessee game, but that certainly wasn't, you know their best game so yeah it feels like the Gators could slide in even at number two or all the way down at like number six or something like that it's hard to say yeah with our defense we can win any game that's true and, and we're going to find out a lot more about our team 
I don't want to say this weekend. We'll find something out this weekend. But Georgia's one and three in their last four games. They're not exactly momentum heavy and rolling right now. It's just been a weird year. But yeah, two to six is appropriate. I guess if you're dreaming, you're JT Raymond. You think we're definitely second. And maybe if you're more like me, you say, hey, I don't think the numbers justify that. I probably feel like we're right about right. So time will tell. Okay, a little bit of Gator news, you know, injury updates. Uh, it seems like there's at least a chance that we'll get all three back. Brian Cox, Jordan Sherritt, Joey Ivey, you know, probably different degrees of certainty on each of them, but that will be huge if we get one or three of them back. Um, Jared Davis, I guess there's still a possibility he could play, although that seems unlikely. Seems like a little bit of McIlwain kind of machination of like, oh, he might play. You're going to have to prepare for him, but I doubt we see him on the field. Uh, Goolsby, who knows? I bet he plays, but no one can say for sure with the way uh, this coaching staff deals with injury reports. Thoughts on any of those guys, whether you think they go or not? We need the defensive line to go. Sherritt's coming back, I think, for sure, which is big. Um, it sounds like Cox is going to play, but he's probably going to be limited for the rest of the year. I think Sherritt's going to be 100%, which is really important. I think just having one of those guys that's stable where you're rotating them the younger guys in will make a big, big difference. Um I, you know, it's hard to know, like you said, with McElwain, he's never giving you anything. So hopefully the more that can play, the better. Uh, and this bye week, coupled with the other bye week, it's been really great to get us back into a much healthier condition. So that's been very beneficial. Uh, some news about Luke Del Rio. Interesting. Actually, you pointed this out to me, and I'm going to ask you the question. <laughs> so Luke is going to graduate in December. He has, I think... Two to three? Is it three if he got the extra? I don't even know. Three possible years left, I believe, if he applied for an extension year. Two regular years. I could be wrong on that, but something like that. Is it curious that he's graduating with his bachelor's degree in December? Kind of, especially since he's taking 16 hours to do that. You know, that's a lot. And you're, you know, playing, you're starting quarterback on a SEC team. I don't know. I, I don't know if he's trying to create more options for himself um, in case you know, he wants to move on with the grad transfer rule. That would seem to be really interesting. I mean, that would be the fourth school he was at. So I don't know. Um, I mean, it's impressive that he's going to be able to graduate as quickly as he can with, you know, despite transferring so many times, but something to keep an eye on looking moving forward. Yeah. He's been a regular student for most of his career. If you think about the transferring, you could just say on one hand, Hey, let's knock this out and be done. But like you suggested, why wouldn't you spread that out and take those courses in the spring? Because spring is a lot lighter load, and then just graduate then. So it seems crazy to suggest there's a chance that he could be thinking that. But his dad's an NFL coach. He's obviously smart strategically. That gives him the option of having all the options. So he could actually go through spring practice, decide he's not going to win the battle, transfer, and start immediately for a different school in the fall, which is most interesting. And we're not suggesting that's the case, but it does open that door for him. Interesting thought there, something to follow, just an interesting little tidbit. Uh, so Alan, do you think the bye week coming at this time, we haven't played a lot. Is it a good thing for the team? Is there any way it wasn't, it wasn't a good thing for the team? Just in the fact that, you know, we've not played a lot recently and not played in a big game since Tennessee, really, in some sense. Um, I don't think that's good for a continuity in terms of, you know, offensive line false starts and things like that. It does help, as you mentioned, for us to get healthy. We were really banged up on the defensive line. So that was a really strategic moment, but I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's going to help the offense unless they were using that to make some positional changes or schematic changes. Then it's a really great time, but uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I feel like 
this team could show up a little rusty again just because they haven't had a lot of game action recently. What about you? Yeah, a lot of young guys. So game action is really important because you can't duplicate that. I think if you had a veteran team, you could almost argue the practice time is beneficial to them. They get healthy. They get to really clean up a few things. They get to really drill on some of the finer points of the game. They don't need as many game reps. But for these young guys, the game reps are vastly different than a practice rep. I do think, given our injuries, that probably having all of this uninterrupted practice time to get to really work on some stuff will help. You should be able to help clear up some penalties uh, with regards to drilling on some of those things. But ultimately, there is just nothing that duplicates game reps. So it will be interesting to see how we come out in the first quarter, having only played one game in 30 days, essentially, when the ball is, in fact, kicked off. So last week, we had our second contest for the FanEssentials.net gear. And we had asked you to post on our Facebook page your prediction for the upcoming season. We didn't hold you to whether or not your prediction would be right or wrong. We simply asked you to make a prediction, then tag a friend, a family member, or someone else on Facebook. We have chosen a winner through a very scientific process of Alan sitting right here next to me and using a random number generator. And the winner, thanks to the number seven, tends to be Matt Allen. So Matt Allen, you have won the fanessentials.net gear. All you need to do is write us a Facebook message. We will tell you how to get your gear. You'll get a month free of that gear. The way fanessentials.net works is you can go to the website, you can choose any one of your favorite sports teams. It tends to make a really good gift. Fan Essentials will then send that gear monthly to the recipient, whether it be yourself, your friend, a family member, and they will get all kinds of team swag each month. Could be hats, clothes, buttons, other authentic gear that typically is pretty unique. It's not something you can just buy in a store or uh, get you know at Sports Authority or Dicks or online. So it tends to be good for that. If you're interested in getting Fan Essentials, all you have to do is go on to fanessentials.net. You can use our promo code GATERS. It'll give you 30% off a month subscription. Um, tends to be, again, a good gift. I think is how it works for the best. Coming right up is going to be Richard Johnson, our Gator guest for this week. All right, we're joined now by Richard Johnson, former Gator grad, I guess still a Gator grad, used to work at the Alligator former employee of ESPN, now working over at SB Nation as a college football writer. Richard, really glad to have you on. Thanks, guys. It's really good to be on. So I wanted to start with kind of the perception of the Florida program, like nationally. So you've been someone who's covered it locally and then probably been around people who are covering it nationally. What do you think the difference is locally and nationally? Uh, you know, I think they're a little out of sight, out of mind. Um I think primarily they're out of sight, out of mind because they're not winning big games or even really playing in big games besides the Tennessee game this season, obviously. Um, but I also think they're out of sight, out of mind because they're not doing anything uh, special. Um, you know, the style of play that they play offensively obviously is not aesthetically pleasing, um, not exactly something that you really care to sit through three and a half hours watching. Um, the defense is great. And, but and, and, you know, there are notable names on it, but I, I just think Florida is kind of a little bit workmanlike and off the beaten path in doing what they do. And I think because of that, although they are such a national brand, um, they're not winning games sexy. And when you do that, you don't necessarily draw a lot of attention to yourself. Think for a moment what your expectations were before Max started. He gets hired. You learn about him and you think, okay, this is what I think it's going to be like. And then thinking of today, right now, where we are, 
how have those expectations been received? Are they exceeded about the same below? I think from a wins and losses perspective, um, definitely exceeded. Um, you know, I, I think that what happened last season going to the SEC championship game, um, it, it almost works to the detriment of developing expectations. Like it, it throws expectations for a loop when they don't need to be. You know, Florida goes eight and four, seven and five last season. I think people understand. They understand it's coming off the tails of the Muschamp era, and they understand that it's year one. But when you kind of, you know, you kind of rock it up, and you know, you're playing Alabama, and you got a chance to win this conference and maybe go to a Sugar Bowl um, year one. You know, people pay attention, and then this year, um, you know, they've only got one loss. And, you know, Georgia's coming up, and so no one knows what's going to happen there. They didn't play LSU, so they didn't have a chance to win or lose against LSU, and obviously that will happen in November. Um, But for now, like, there is going to be some attention kind of popping up, especially if Florida can beat Georgia. This then becomes a thing of dark horse playoff chances, et cetera, et cetera. And I I don't think anybody – anybody that watches this team week in, week out, the style they play and the way they play that style – can really say this is one of the 10, 15 best teams in the country. It, it's just not. Um, and so I, I think the realistic expectations for this season, what I told people about this season, eight and four, nine and three, I think is a reasonable ceiling, ceiling. Um, and, and I think you kind of go from there. This is a, I think it's a good football team primarily because this defense is great. Um, but you know, it's a few steps away from being obviously, um, you know, a, 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 a team that I would have been confident in winning the SEC East or the SEC in general. Um, so, you know, but people talk about maybe, you know, maybe you want to fire Mac or maybe you want to fire Nussmeier. No, give it a little bit of time and people don't want to hear that. And I know it's been forever since Florida's been in prominence. And it's been forever since the offense looked worth a damn. I get it. I know. I watched the team the same as you do. Um, but th- these things do not happen overnight. That there's no other way to 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 convey that. It, it just it's not going to happen overnight. What do you think are the major obstacles that the coaches or the program in general maybe needs to overcome to get back to that level of prominence that Gator fans are looking for? Offensively, it's got to be personnel. Um, you know, I think the Muschamp era was failed by not even so much the acquiring of talent, but I think the development and the retention of that talent was where things really failed uh, Florida. And I think that development thing, more than anything, is king. And development takes time. Um, you know, I don't think they're, they're not reinventing the wheel on offense. Um, and, you know, it's not like you brought in a guy that's going to radically overhaul the system and, and make it air raid or, you know, make it spread option or anything like that. Like, that's, that's not what you got. Um, but you've you got guys that I said, personally, I feel pretty confident in their ability to develop talent. So you've got to wait and let that talent develop. Why don't you think it's taken Jim Harbaugh time? I, I mean, I, I think that, well, <laughs> I think people may not be the uh, – People may not, uh, may not love this answer. I think Jim Harbaugh's a better coach. Um, but I, I think you, you look at something like Harbaugh goes into Stanford. That team's 0-12. And, 
and, and you know, almost immediately they're upsetting uh, USC and they're going to an Orange Bowl and they, you know, and they get Andrew Luck to come to school and stuff like that. And so what, what Provo did at Stanford, um, you know, is a little bit different and with a much higher curve of difficulty than what Florida's trying to do from a talent perspective. Um, then you look at Harbaugh in the NFL and you see what Kaepernick has been now that Harbaugh's gone. Jim Harbaugh is really, really good at taking what his team is good at and accentuating that and hiding what his team isn't so good at. Um, and at Michigan, I, I think he does that too. I think that team's a friggin' defensive force. Um, and, and on offense, they can be limited, but no one's been able to limit uh, no one's been able to limit Michigan yet. I think part of that may be a little bit because of level of competition. But on the other hand, um, on the other hand, Michigan does well what they do well, and they don't try to really do anything else. Um, and, and so that's kind of my answer there on Harbaugh. So looking at something that's a little bit of older news now, but certainly still relevant, the LSU situation, the question I've been getting a lot is why would LSU – have drawn such a hard line in the sand. Why do you think LSU wanted to keep the game in Baton Rouge this season, especially? Any any motivation you can find there for them to do that? Uh, like I, I don't think Florida is, or I, I should say LSU. I don't, I don't think LSU did this with some like malicious intent. I, I think they both screwed the situation up, and I almost think Florida kind of screwed it up first. Um, I think in a perfect world you would have played the game in Baton Rouge um, or you would have played the game in Baton Rouge on the Saturday or you would have played the game uh, in Gainesville on the Sunday. Now, the Baton Rouge thing on Saturday would obviously be best-case scenario. I think on Tuesday of that week, you put your heads together, you say there is a friggin' hurricane coming up the East Coast. You know, we would love the revenue. We would love to keep it in Gainesville, but... Uh, LSU's offered hotel rooms. They've offered to compensate us for travel. Um, let's move the ship and, and play the game in Baton Rouge. Now, on the other hand, um, LSU, I think, should have probably, after the game was canceled and, and in the negotiation, LSU should have probably kind of bowed to the wish and kind of understood that, hey, you know, this game's going to get played in Gainesville. Um, and maybe they could have tried to get compensation for that uh, for their lost game against South Alabama from the SEC um, or something like that. But, uh, you know, somebody was going to lose a home game, and the game was lost initially, um, I think, because of what Florida did or did not do, because I, I think as that week gets, gets, uh, gets farther on, I think Florida backed everyone into a corner by it being Thursday and then it's too late to organize travel. And, you know, obviously it looks like this hurricane is coming, which of course it didn't end up doing. Um, but it, it, it is very obvious that at that point that that hurricane is coming and, and can't play the game of games. Well. So you got to cancel the game at that point. Um, so I, I think there's blame, a lot of blame to go around. Uh, and I know both fan bases want to snipe at each other. I get it. But uh, I think both, uh, both schools, both programs are at fault. Uh, they were just at fault at different times. So it's Georgia week. Um, I'm sure you have a lot of experience for this game. What I'd like to ask you is, what's the difference in experience in covering the game and being there as a fan? 
Oh, I mean, it's, it's radically different. So Florida, Georgia is interesting covering it because at a lot of college stadiums, um, at a lot of college stadiums, the press boxes are still open and um, you can kind of, you can hear the crowd and, and that kind of stuff. But uh, Jacksonville's press box is, um, is, is enclosed. It's glassed in. Um, obviously, it's a pro stadium. And so I think it, it, it makes it a little bit of a more stale um, coverage and, and more of a stale atmosphere when you're in the press box. Um, but I think, you know, if you walk around, you walk around outside, um, you know, you're, you're going to get as much atmosphere as you want. Uh, you know, the, I, I only covered the game my senior year. Um, I was I was on the beat my junior year, but I, I didn't end up uh, covering it. Uh, I ended up going to it. Um, but when I covered it my senior year, you know, I made sure to walk around. I made sure to hit up some friends at some tailgates. I got there a little bit early, and, you know, I, I, I saw some friends, and, that, and, you know, I definitely tried to bridge the gap between the fans' experience um, and, and the professional experience. Um, but, you know, th- there's nothing like – um, Florida, Georgia, from a fan's perspective. I um, I was talking to a friend just last week um, that, that lives up here. He's only been to one college football game ever, um, and it was, a, it was a USC Stanford game. And I was telling him just last week, I said, I got to get you down to Jacksonville. I got to get you down to Florida, Georgia. I think it is a bucket list college football game, no matter how good the teams are. I, I really, really do. It is such a unique atmosphere. It's such a unique uh, uh, thing that we all circle on the calendar, both Georgia fans and Florida fans. And, uh, you know, I really am going to miss not going to it this year in, uh, <clears throat> in, in any capacity. So let me ask you, what do you think is going to happen in this game? And maybe give us a prediction. Man, this is like the fourth year I come into this game saying, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I think it, I think Florida, I think Florida's going to win. I should say that out now. Um, I think Florida's going to win because I think Florida is going to be able to severely limit um, Jacob Eason. I think Jacob Eason's pretty good, but I think if Jacob Eason is going to have his game where he looks like a freshman, I think it's going to be Saturday. Um, I think, obviously, I, you know, I'm not going out on some limb by saying that Chubb is a, a beast. Um, but I, I don't think Georgia can rely on the running game uh, and, and really stake their off, their offense on the running game against this Florida defense. Um, you know, I, I think a fair expectation for some turnovers from Jacob Eason. I know you can never obviously rely on turnovers. But, uh, you know, because of the way the ball bounces. But I think you can be reasonable in that expectation um, on, on Saturday. And so Florida may be able to have some short fields, um, kick some field goals, nickel and dime, um, and, and win this game in, you know, one of those 14 or 17 to 10 games. It's, you know, not the most beautiful thing in general, but, you know, a win's a win. Richard, what's your favorite Gainesville restaurant? Oh, my favorite Gainesville restaurant. Um, the rest, I will say the restaurant that kind of that has my heart is uh, is Paisano's. Paisano's has my favorite dish in town, chicken carbonara. Um, and when you get it with the rolls that they give at Paisano's, it is uh, it is to die for. I am coming back for Thanksgiving. It is the first time I have been in Gainesville since August, and I am pumped uh, to go to Paisano's right off the plane. Richard, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at RJ underscore rights. Uh, and they can find all my fine work at uh, FBNation.com. 
uh, under the college football tab. Excellent. He is Richard Johnson, college football writer for SB Nation. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. We appreciate it. So now is when we traditionally turn our attention to our opponent. We're going to press the pause button on that for just a moment to spend some time talking about the position groups for the Gators. It's midway point in the season. Let's get an idea of what Alan and I think of these groups. We're going to grade them on a scale of A to F. Feel free to know that we could be entirely wrong, according to your own opinion. But hey, you're listening to hear our opinions, and they will be strong, and uh, we believe in them. But (laughs) (laughs) who knows right now? It's going to be interesting. Let's just start. I'll throw the first one out. Quarterback. This is an interesting one because I feel like there was – you know, some thought this could be a really breakout position for us. I, I pick Luke Del Rio as my breakout player. Um, but I'm going to have to go with just a B. You know, it's been solid, um, but nothing to really get excited about. I feel like this is a C- minus for me. And there's been highs. There's been lows. You had the first half for Appleby. You had the Kentucky game for Luke Del Rio. But you had a lot of red zone inconsistency. You've had poor decisions across the board. Uh You've had some bad fundamentals at times. So I'm going to go C- minus with with a hope that that improves since both of them are, are inexperienced in our system. And obviously, Luke Del Rio hasn't played a lot. So stick with the C-. minus. How about the offensive line? So this is something we've been critical of you know, all season. And this is maybe higher than some people think. I'm going to say like C- minus here uh, because it has been good enough for us to win games. It hasn't been a total train wreck, right? We've still been able to run the ball and pass the ball somewhat right now it's obviously the thing that's holding us back at least in my opinion but it's not been like you know the worst offensive line of all time so c minus maybe d plus if i want to be a little negative yeah that makes sense i mean if you look at if you look at our stats you could say that we're not giving up a lot of sacks which is true we're running the ball pretty well top 50 numbers top 40 with regards to yards per play so there's a narrative for that i'm going to go d here though a solid d i think we're underachieving these guys are not all incredibly highly rated guys, but certainly Martez Ivy is. The rest of our guys are, are generally three stars and above. We've played against inferior competition. We've really struggled with some basic concepts. We've had a, a, a difficult time at tackle uh, guarding guys one-on-one. It just seems like they're underachieving for where they should be. This is not going to be the best offensive line in the SEC, but given what they have, it probably shouldn't be where it is with the mistakes and the penalties they make and some of the things they miss. So I'm going to go D here. Let's look at the running backs. This is a tough group to grade because there's four of them and they've all got playing time. But uh, I'm going to say uh, B plus for them. I've been really impressed with them. I think they would, if they were running behind a really good offensive line, they would be killing it right now. So the four guys, all productive. I'm excited about Scarlett and the future with Pirine. What about you? I like Scarlett and Pirine as an A. I'm going to bring Thompson down to like a C just because of the way he's run behind the line. He's a good running back, but he he struggles to struggles to hit holes and then Cronkite has been good he's been hurt I think he's solid so I like I like B plus there um, I think they've done great they've been one of our best position groups if you take Thompson out it's a solid A for me I think he just he needs to he needs to run behind the line and the play more often as opposed to sort of just leaving it and taking on a guy right away and let's jump over to a wide receiver I like this group a lot I, I try to think to myself what could they have done to achieve anything more the route running is precise they don't make many mistakes, and there's a lot of young guys playing. In fact, Callaway's been the guy making a lot of the mistakes, which is pretty frustrating. Um, given where they are, given their youth, given how the team has been functioning, I think this has been a really solid group. Very few drops, 
very, very solid high leverage catches. You look at Cleveland coming in and catching basically every ball thrown his way for the most part, with the exception of one. I like this group a lot. I think they're maximizing their potential right now. I think when they're asked to do more, we can get more um, balls into their hands. We'll be able to get a better read on where this group is, but I'm going to give them an A right now. Hmm, interesting. So obviously we're grading some of these positions on a curve a little bit because it's not A production from you, but I, I'm similar to that. I'm going to say B that, you know, it's, I guess, less on a curve here because, you know, they're not super productive, but they're all really young. Um, of course, uh, Fullwood continues to be the disappointment of the group. Um, I, you know, that shouldn't be unexpected, I guess. But, yeah, I've been really impressed with the young guys. I think they've, you know, you know, I think played really well for true freshmen. And I think we could get to the end of the year and these guys continue to grow and we could be a, a higher grade for them. But I'm going to go with B right now. Uh, let's go with your favorite group, the tight ends. And I like that caveat with what you're saying. I am definitely grading on a what do you, what do I think you could be achieving given your talent score. This is not a productivity score in fact at all. And so good 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 caveat point there. Using that same line of thinking with tight ends, I'm going to give them a C minus. I've been extremely disappointed with this position. We came into this year sort of really talking about how it was important to have these twin tight end setups and how it was going to be a really, really big edge for us. It has been anything but that. Seontay Lewis can't block defensive linemen. He's fine at blocking linebackers and, and cornerbacks and safeties, but he can't block linemen. Goolsby is a glorified receiver lining up there. He's not strong enough to block any linemen either. They struggle helping our offensive line, which is what we need the most out of them. And in the pass catching department, they've been fine, but they were supposed to be fine. So not not as impressed with them as I want to be. They're just average to me right now. Yeah, I agree. Almost everything you said, C plus. They, you know, they have a lot of um, capability, but not a lot of. I don't know. That's not showing up on the field. You want them to be really dynamic, and they haven't been, and they've been kind of a minus in blocking. All right, let's jump over to the defense. What about the defensive line? Uh, they've been amazing. I mean, I, I wasn't sure where we were going to get pass rush from. As we talked about, we've gotten a ton. Certainly Zuniga, a guy we've highlighted, has been fantastic. We've had Sherritt in the game. He's been able to really hold his own on the edge, which allows other guys to get through. They've been they've been incredible. They have been, as Booger McFarlane said, the best defensive line in the country, in my opinion. I'm going to give him an A. Same. A. Highly productive. Deep. Um, you know, even when we've had a ton of injuries at that one spot, we've still, you know, not been stellar at the backup spots, but at least decent. Some good young guys coming in. I, I'm really proud of this group. You know, they've got it done as a unit because it's not just one guy dominating. Everybody else is just a guy. You know, they've done it. Um, I think through depth and through really playing hard too. So some of these guys are really try hard guys, like Brian Cox Jr. So um, like them a lot. How about linebacker? Linebacker is our strongest position, maybe between Anzalone and Davis. I mean, these two guys can really ball. And so from what we've seen from them, it's been extremely impressive. They rarely make a bad play. They really make a bad decision which it's really fun to watch those guys play out there. So strong A for me, A+. plus. I mean, there's not much more they could have done unless you get really nitpicky with a few mistakes they might make here or there. I'm going to go A-, minus, and that's only because I would have liked to see a little more depth develop. Um, and that's maybe on the coaching staff. I'm not sure. You know, those guys play a ton of snaps, snaps um, which we need them to. And they've been fantastic, as you said. But as a group, if I'm looking outside those two, Maybe we'd have liked to see a little more uh, pop from some of those younger guys. And at cornerback, maybe a similar argument you can make with regards to depth. But just looking at the on-field talent, yeah, I'm going to go A plus in there, and I'm going to I'm going to include Duke in there, even though he got burned a little bit against Tennessee. Otherwise, he's been fantastic. Love these guys. Um, you know, I think they're the best duo in the country. <laughs> Made a note that they're not on the Thorpe Award 
uh, semifinal list, which is kind of crazy, especially since Jalen Tabor shows up everywhere on every list. So kind of strange. Maybe that'll be a little motivation for those guys. Yeah, that's incredibly strange about that. I'm going to go with an A- minus here, and that that's only because in the game that it mattered the most, and I don't think this is their fault, they, they were unable to deliver. And again, they've been they've been ex- exceptional with regards to production, almost historic. I think Duke Dawson is a fantastic nickel corner, like we talked about. I'm not blaming it at all on him that he's covering a number one receiver for an opposing school. That shouldn't happen. But with that being said, you want your best unit to will you to wins in your biggest games, and they didn't do that. And whether or not that's directly their fault, I'm going to dock them just a little bit for not being able to, to carry us to that win. Now against Missouri, they put that game away. They did it there, and hopefully that's the way it's going to be for the rest of the season. Let's talk about safety play. Interesting, interesting position group for us here. Yeah, I'm going to give them a B plus. You know, they've done solid work, um, not exceptional. Obviously, Marcus May has been a guy we've been up and down on. He's excellent at certain things. Love the guys, Marcel Harris, Nick Washington, some other guys we've seen out there. Been good. You know, you're not getting like, I mean, they're not game changers, but they haven't been burning us, so we haven't talked about them a lot, which is maybe a good sign for them. So that's why I'm giving them a B plus. It's been. Right. It's been weird. I say it's been right. What am I even saying? But it's just, it's one of those things where it's hard to evaluate. Marcus May is an incredible plus value defender as a run stopper. You can't highlight that enough. You could give the position group an A for that alone. But they don't make an impact elsewhere at all. So for that, I'm going to go with a B because they're just not impactful. If we run a cover one high or we run a cover two, rarely are our safeties breaking on the ball correctly. Are they making a big difference play? But but again, you can say, well, the ball's not really coming out late enough for them to make a play that is true um so i'm gonna go b just simply because we don't really have another value guy value add guy outside of marcus may two position groups left on special teams let's look at our kicker eddie pinheiro i'm gonna go a plus just for what you know we experienced last year um he's missed a few kicks but he's made some really big ones too so uh even though he's missed a few like i love the guy yeah, he's been a spark for the team. So I'm going to go. That's that's rare from the kicker position. So I'm going to go A+. Plus. Yeah, I like it. I, you just feel like emotionally you want to just give him 100. But I'm going to give him a B. I think we need to see more consistency out of him on the, the mid-range field goals. I think he'll continue to do that. Obviously, he has an incredible leg, and he's hit a fantastic percentage from deep. And if he misses, generally, he misses uh, in, in what's still a well-contacted ball. But I'd like to see his, his make rate go up a little bit higher. Lastly, our punter, Johnny Townsend. What do you got there? I'll give him an A. Solid you know, consistently flips the field, you know, has, a, has missed a few here and there, but generally I trust him back there to, to make the right kind of play. Yeah. I'm definitely going to go a plus here. He's solid as a rock. You never have to question him. He can make all the kicks. He can pin you deep. He's got the end over end as well as the deep kick. I think you think he's going to play on Sundays. He's got a nice little career there. It's okay. nice having him yeah. as a, as a punter when we need him. So a little up and down there. Um, we're higher on some groups than I thought we'd be and lower on others. Let's talk about this week. It's the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I still call it that. Even if some people, <laughs> I saw some shirts today that was the River Sea Showdown. Please don't reference that game as that. You'll you'll feel my wrath. Okay. Um, I love this game. I've been going to it since I was a kid. We talked about it some last year. It's a fantastic game day experience. Really unique. I have great memories, especially since we win most of the time. Um, yeah, it's just fun watching Georgia fans file out of the stadium at the end of the third quarter. One that, of my favorites. That's my favorite memory. Without a doubt. Um, it's just absolutely fantastic winning and watching them be heartbroken. Losing is is frustrating. You know, for, for the longest period of time, most of us hadn't seen losses. We'd seen like one for a 14-year period there. Two, I think, is what it was. So it's it's weird when they won those three games in a row. It was, it was kind of maddening. Um, but 
man, what a fun atmosphere. What a fun game. What a fun situation in the fourth quarter if the game's kind of out of hand and one half of the stadium is completely empty and the other half is just loving it. And of course, Jacksonville does a great job hosting it. I lived in Jacksonville. You're from Jacksonville. I, I tend to knock Jacksonville all the time for being sort of like this city that's kind of a misfit city and it's weird. But with this game, everything about it is right. It gets it right. And it, it's really a lot of fun. It's like a showcase for, for college football in the SEC. Yeah, and if you're winning, it's fun. If it's tight in the fourth quarter, man, it feels electric in there too. Something unique about that atmosphere. I love it. Okay, so let's talk about Georgia this year's edition. Give us a little primer on them, James. Well, this game is interesting. So I wanted to pull some some narratives from the national media today. So I went ahead and pulled up the Google machine and fired it in there. And what did I find? Well, I found five or six articles right away from from large, credible sports companies like ESPN and SB Nation and Campus Insiders. And almost every single one of them went down the matchup list. And curiously to me, they gave Georgia an edge on offense. They said, okay, Georgia's offense better than Florida's offense. That's clear. Then they would go down the list. Florida's defense obviously much better than than Georgia's defense, but Georgia's defense is good. And I find that to be interesting because when you look at the numbers, Georgia's offense is not good. In fact, it's not better than our offense in any single statistical category, which is interesting. We're better at passing. We're better at running. Um, they commit a few less penalties than we do. So there's that, I guess. But but nationally, it's, it's at best, I guess, if you want to say it's a wash, if you say we played easier competition. So statistically that's interesting to me flipping over on our side of the ball our defense versus their offense we have massive statistical advantages I mean you look at their passing their passing offense it's like 80th or 90th and our defense is number two you look at their rushing offense it's 50th our rushing defense is number 10 so we have much bigger advantages on either side in the matchup stats I think it's why we're favored by six and a half points um, but it's funny to think of the national narrative still really looking at our offense as like, hey, it's bad. And look, each week I'm on here saying I'm not impressed with our red zone scoring. But curious, the national media has bought into the fact that they actually think our offense really is actually just pretty terrible when statistically it is much better than Georgia's. And Georgia has had some funky, funky offensive stat lines where they either can't run the ball at all or they play South Carolina and Jacob Eason throws for 25 yards in an entire game. So statistically, you would look at this and think, this is a game that Florida should win and should win rather easily. It's hard to find a case mathematically where you just say, look, Georgia's going to do something to us that we can't that we can't overcome. So I think people have looked at Jacob Beeson and seen some of his highlights. And, you know, fourth and ten touchdown against Missouri, those for a ton of yards against Vanderbilt, even though they lost. So I think they're looking at that, and they do one thing dynamically on occasion. We'll just throw the football. And you would look at Florida's offense and do they do anything dynamically? I would say no. So that's probably where that national narrative comes from, I would think. But yes, yeah, statistically, they, they've they not had a great year thus far. And it's really been up and down, too. So that's what skews that. They're capable of playing well, I think. You know, they beat North Carolina in the first game of the season. But yeah, have struggled to be consistent, which maybe you would expect from a freshman quarterback and, you know, a pretty young team overall, first-year coach. Uh, yeah, six-and-a-half-point favorite. Does that feel right to you it feels like not enough to me based upon just looking at the stats and i and i'm not underselling georgia here but i think if you look at it vegas likes trends and georgia's one and three in their last four games one of those losses is to is to vanderbilt at home of course they lost that game to tennessee which i think is imprinting a lot of people's minds they should have beaten tennessee they also got absolutely obliterated by Ole miss so this is this is a team that 
this is a hard team to follow. They probably should have lost to Nickel State. I mean, there's a lot of weirdness about this team. They're really up and down. They should have lost to Missouri. So I guess no matter how you want to look at it, they should at least have three losses. Six and a half feels small to me. If we win by six and a half, I will be disappointed. Let's put it that way. Let's look at the line by, if we win by that, does that feel about right? A six and a half point win over this current Georgia team to me, while I'll take it because it's the SEC and we have a young team, it doesn't, that does not feel like enough points as I feel about it. I mean, what are... What are you thinking with that kind of point? Yeah, well, I think maybe baked into this is the kooky nature of this rivalry. That the the team that is, um, I think, favored doesn't always win or cover. And so, I don't know. Uh, it probably feels difficult to bet Florida big. If Florida was a 14-point favorite, I think all the money would come in on Georgia. So this is Vegas, I think, evening that out a little bit. Just because, like you said, the national narratives, I don't think, see a big difference between Florida and Georgia right now. And we'll have to see if that plays out. And this is a kooky game. Anything can happen. It's the We talk about this all the time, the nature of rivalry games. This is just, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of um, unpredictability that comes with this stuff. So maybe that's reflected in the line a little bit. Um, I want to maybe touch on a little bit of an interesting storyline here. Um, this is going to come out this week. I'm sure people are going to write about it, but... Uh, Jim McElwain, Kirby Smart, both former Nick Saban disciples were on the coaching staff together for a few years. I think I think f- as many as four. And so these guys know each other. I think they may know their strength is, strengths and weaknesses. Uh, do you think that plays out better for one team or the other? Typically, the advantage goes to the defensive mindset when you know each other. And so you would say that automatically it goes to Kirby Smart. He spent four years going up against Jim McElwain offenses directly. He knows exactly what Jim McElwain wants to do. Jim McElwain can know what Kirby Smart wants to do, but the the advantage goes to the defender in this situation. I think he can convey the concepts better to his players than the offensive guys can, can get it conveyed to them. So I think the edge goes to Kirby with regards to the individual defense versus offensive matchup. I just think Kirby doesn't necessarily have the talent on that defense on the back end to to totally stop that their rush defense has been good it's top 25 rushing defense and i think that's where kirby probably likes his matchup and that's where vegas i think likes it too is they say hey if they can stop florida running the ball florida can't pass that's a perfectly fine narrative to have so interesting storyline i give the advantage to kirby smart solely based upon the tactics of this individual game of course mcelwain's had an extra year with his players so he should be able to continue to get them to follow his orders better than smart can get his players to follow his Interesting storyline, though. If Kirby Smart's defense really excels, especially above, let's say, their trend line, you would expect that that direct knowledge played a significant role in that. Yeah, it could be a factor. It could be a big factor, actually. Um, you know, like you said, I don't know if he has the personnel to pull it off, but if he is a Nick Saban disciple, right, if this is going to carry through at all, this is a place you expect it to show up. Nick Saban's preparation for his teams against, you know, Offense, especially that he has time to prepare for, is really stellar. So they've had a bye week. Uh, you know, that may be the thing that like keeps this game close, is if they're really prepared to stop our offense. Now, we've had a bye week, too. Who knows what that means? Uh, but Nick Saban, if he's got a bye week to stop an offense, I'm confident he's going to shut it down. So let's see if Kirby Smart can live into that a little bit. Otherwise, it might be a, a long season and a long couple seasons for Georgia. Uh the matchup that I'm most interested in is Jacob Beeson versus our secondary. He's only thrown five picks on the year, which isn't a ton for a true freshman. But I feel like to win this game, George is going to have to throw the ball. And 
I like that for us. Do you see us coming away with a few picks here? This is a great matchup for us. They have a low completion percentage, like 90th in the country, Georgia is. So is Eason. Uh, we have the number one completion percentage defense. It's very hard to complete passes against us. The only team that did it was Tennessee in man-to-man matchups and what we've covered at, at, you know, ad nauseum of how they did it. I don't think we're ever going to line up like that again. Based upon what we've been doing, we haven't been doing that. It's been a lot more mixed. We've been getting a lot of interceptions off that. I'm just not sure how Jacob Eason doesn't have his second worst completion day. I mean, if he's worse than that 5 of 17 number, that's even more amazing. I think he'll probably do better than that. But very, very good matchup for us. And given that they don't run the ball all that well, it's going to be hard for them to sell the play action. It's going to be hard for them to really do a lot on offense. So I expect them to try to build in some of those typical Alabama gadget plays where you try to play time of possession, which they do very well. And you try to steal 17 points. I would think if you're in Georgia and you're Kirby, you say, I need to get 17 offensive points. I'm going to have to steal 10 of those. So I've got to have four to five plays in my playbook where I just generate a 20 or 30-yard play on some funky rollout, whatever the case may be, taking advantage of Florida's aggressiveness to move the ball down there. I can't see a way in which they can complete that many passes against our front. Maybe they can. That would be extraordinary to me, given what I've seen so far on the film. With that, what are some matchups you think are going to lead to the keys to this game? What are some keys to this game? Is there one or two particular things that we should be looking for heading into this weekend? So, you know, the Georgia running game is kind of the forgotten element of this game because they haven't been super successful. Uh, I think if Florida can keep them one-dimensional, like we're hoping to, uh, it's going to be a long day for Jacob Beeson. So, you know, even though we've been talking a lot about our secondary, I think if you look at their rush stats, it's going to be a key. And then for us on the other side, can we run the ball? They're going to be loading up, I have no doubt, against us. They're going to have to take away something um, because I don't think they're talented enough just to play straight up against us, uh, even though we're not the most dynamic offense. Uh, So I would look at the rushing numbers on either team. If they're running the ball, you know, for some reason, that's going to, you know, make the game much easier for them and same way for us. I think a key to this game is maybe just a qualitative key is how we come out in the beginning. I would expect Kirby Smart to play conservative on defense. There's there's certainly a nice track record of teams early playing man against us and us converting one of those deep passes. I think Kirby's smart enough to say, let's frustrate them a little bit. We don't necessarily come out and run the ball very well in these games. So sit in the cover two shell, make it hard for us to generate a big play, keep the game hanging for a while, maybe generate some frustration. Uh, I think if Georgia can do that against us, the game could get pretty interesting pretty quickly. This is Luke Del Rio's first real road experience of any kind um it's not a true road game but it's certainly not a home game so a lot of this could hang in the beginning i think there's a narrative here where if we come out and we score on them early get up 10 points maybe in the first quarter this could get ugly fast i think georgia's in a a very fragile mindset right now and i think the florida players are all waiting to believe that they're actually really good so i think that's going to be my soft key to victory i think on the hard key to victory if we don't let georgia run the ball we're going to win and if Georgia lets us run the ball with even any limited success at all, we're probably also going to win. So I think the rushing attack on either side is probably going to be what really determines this game to me. So you could almost go to the simple classic team that rushes the most is going to win this one. Which is usually a silly statistic because that's like the winner is going to run it in garbage time. But I think especially in those first half, like who's successful in that? And yeah, I, this is another game, like I said before, emotion comes into it, momentum comes into it because it can swing on you hard because there's half the field is cheering for you or against you. It's a weird environment. 
and I'm hopeful that our players are going to respond to that. You know, it's not McElwain's first time. It is Kirby's first time coaching in this environment, so we'll have to see how that goes into it. All right, let's jump over to a prediction. What do you got? I like Florida in this game 27-10, to 10. And, and I think the touchdown or the 10 that Georgia gets, one of them probably comes off a turnover of some sort. I don't think we come out of this game with no turnovers, so I imagine they, they get a point there too. How we get to 27 could be a myriad of ways, but we're averaging 30. Georgia averages giving up 27. It just seems like we're going to be right in that range. Agreed. Uh, I've got 30 to 13, and I looked at them, how many points they give up, and you know what? There's not there's teams on that schedule who aren't the best on offense. And so I, I think this – and this is maybe baked in for me, a defensive touchdown or set up like a short field for us. 13 might be low. You know, I could definitely see them scoring 17 points. Um, but I'm going to go 30-13. And, yeah, that's a big Gators victory. That's a huge momentum if that's the way that score ends up. Since we love our listeners so much, it's time for yet another giveaway. So far, we've done two different types of giveaways. This week, we're doing a different one. This is for the fanessentials.net gear. All you have to do this week, and this is the easiest one yet, is head to our Facebook page, the Gator Nation Football Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. Drop us a like. That's it. Click the like button, like button, and then we will randomly pick a winner on next week's episode. You will get a month of free swag for you, your family, your friends from their favorite professional sports team. That simple. Head to our page. Drop us a like. We are joined now by Georgia superfan and alumni, Robert McCorkle. Robert, thanks for being on today. Oh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So, Robert, we could dance around with saying, hey, what do you think about Georgia so far? And a bunch of other questions that are normal. But I think the question everyone wants to know is, right now, would you rather have Kirby Smart or Mark Richt as your coach? <laughs> oh, man. Um uh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. That would have been a lot easier question prior to the Vanderbilt loss um, because there's never any excuse for that in my mind. But um, I, I, I got to say Kirby, I guess. I, you know, I've never been a uh, – I've never been a Rick apologist. I, I, I liked Rick. I thought he was a good coach. I thought he was a great face for the, the football program and for the university. I think if you looked at it from a 30,000-square-foot level, there were really good arguments as to why you would never fire somebody who wins, you know, an average of 10 games, let's say, a year um, and who certainly doesn't do anything really to embarrass the program. Um, But at the same time, I think for the real Georgia fans who really are into it and go to the games – and support the team with their funds and other things. I think realized that when you dug down into the numbers and looked at what his record was when we were playing ranked opponents particularly and playing in games that we were either should not or were not favored in or were kind of close games with big opponents, that he just had a abysmal record really particularly in the last half of his career. Um, the kind of salad days for him were really in the first half of his career at Georgia. And I think everybody was as happy as they could be because we had, had so many down years between Don and golf before. But, you know, I think that pressure that has been added in the SEC by, uh, you know, Nick Saban and all these other guys winning and winning and winning, and you just can never quite get there, I think, at some point. The, the the powers that be felt like they had to make a change. Um, I frankly thought it would have come the year before, perhaps, instead of the year that it did. 
and I'm not necessarily a big fan of how it was handled, but I guess I can say that I am, uh, I think I'm happy with Kirby and I think in the long run, he's going to be fine. So we were doing a little discussion on SEC coaches on the hot seat and we thought that Kirby's might, might be sitting on a unlit bonfire that no heat at the moment, <laughs> but that it was going to be tough for him to live up to expectations. Do you feel like there's any heat on him already? Uh, I don't think there's any real heat on him. I certainly think there's absolutely no heat on him from the university. Uh, there are certainly some crazies out there. You know, Georgia, we are we are famous for uh, having ridiculous expectations, which uh, I think we've always had. And, you know, those people who are already, you know, calling for, you know, fire him or start looking around, I just think it's way, way, way premature. And to Kirby's credit, I think he tried to warn everybody when he took the job that, you know, listen, the cupboard is is not as full as you guys think that it is. I mean, when you look at Georgia's roster and you look at how many players are still on campus from – those 2013, 2014 recruiting classes. Uh, I mean, I read this great article about how I think it was 2013 recruiting class and 2014 were the downfall of the program, basically. And 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 half of those guys, half our recruits are playing for other schools because they got kicked out. Half of them play for Louis, start for Louisville right now, and for Auburn, and for all these other schools. And I saw some t- statistic that said from that one class of like 24 recruits. There are like three of them that get significant playing time for the University of Georgia right now, and we are, you know, all freshmen and sophomores, and some of the best players on our teams are, are team are guys that he recruited this year. So, you know, I think he tried to warn everybody that we were really shallow at offensive and defensive line, that we really weren't as talented as we may have thought we were, um, and tried to kind of, you know, tamp down the expectations. Um, but, you know, in classic Georgia fan fashion, we beat North Carolina in the first game of the season, and everybody thinks that we're awesome and uh, then doesn't like it when it slows down a little bit. Yeah, that's a really prudent point about the recruiting. I know Tom Luganville believes that. He constantly is trumpeting to everyone that Georgia has a really inferior roster as compared to what they had before. A guy that certainly was a big get, Jacob Eason, five-star quarterback, guy the Gators really, really wanted. What's your excitement level for him? Is his jersey hanging in your living room already? Do you have a frame around it? Is it, is it encased in glass? Or is it sort of like a wait-and-see approach at this point? Uh, I tried to buy one for my son, who's seven, if that counts. Um, I don't think my wife's going to let me hang any jerseys in the living room or wear one myself anytime soon. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, my you know, my kids are excited about Eason. You know, I'm excited about Eason. I think the entire Georgia fan base is excited. I frankly don't think he's really done anything so far that would tamp down those expectations in the long run. I mean, the guy's a freshman. He's got a pretty bad offensive line blocking in front of him. Um, everybody thought he was going to get bailed out by the running game, so there wouldn't be that much pressure on him. But what's turned out is we don't have an offensive line, so we don't have the running game we thought we were going to have. So there's been a lot of pressure on him. Uh, frankly, I think he's done a good job. I think he's going to be the starter at Georgia for a while. I was around in the Stafford days. 
uh, you know, reminds me a lot, I guess, of Stafford. Um, throws a few less interceptions than Stafford do, which is a good thing. But I, I, I think Eason is going to be great. Um, I think he is the, the answer for us at quarterback for the coming years. And I have not heard really a soul make an argument against that, at least on the Georgia camp. So let me ask you about the Florida-Georgia game itself. What do you love or maybe hate about the cocktail party every year? Um. I love that it's the cocktail party. I, I love that it's in Jacksonville. I live in Savannah, um, so it's a you know it's a two and a half hour drive for me. It's actually a, a a better trip for me than going to Athens, as far as the time is concerned. Um, you know the Georgia fans have really just taken over St. Simon's Island in Georgia, which is what my my wife and I do every year. So just for years now. We take Thursday afternoon and Friday off every year before Georgia, Florida. We go down there. We leave the kids, usually with the parents, and, you know, we go down and spend all day Friday at the beach at St. Simon's. We have a nice beach day on Friday. We go out to dinner at our favorite restaurants. Just Georgia fans everywhere. Everybody's in a good mood and hanging out, at least before the game happens. And then we usually get up and either drive or get on a bus with a bunch of other people, go down to Jacksonville, have a really nice tailgate, go to the game, have a nice ride back, spend a little time Sunday morning eating some brunch, hanging out in St. Simons for a little bit longer and coming back. So it's almost like a holiday um, for us. And I think that a lot of Georgia fans look at it that way. And so it's something that I look forward to every year. I hope that they never move it away from Jacksonville. I hope that they never make it a home and away um, you know, you'll find some some Georgia fans, I guess, that think it should be a home and away because they feel like we're going down to Florida to play. But I just think that's crazy. Uh, I love the atmosphere. I love uh, hanging out in the parking lot and counting the number of people wearing jorts and uh, you know other things that Florida fans like to wear. And I like having uh, you know dog biscuits thrown at me occasionally while people scream at me. Um, you know, it's all in good fun. We've always had a good time on that game, and I just I hope that they never change it. Okay, let me ask you for your thoughts heading into this particular game. Are you confident? Are you hopeful? Are you fearful? Where are you at? Um, I don't really know. Uh, you know, Georgia's in a in kind of a strange place right now. I think everybody, it's almost like this wait-and-see mode. I mean, obviously we're out of it in the SEC East, so – we don't really have any kind of <laughs> postseason aspirations, I think, at this point. Um, you know, we got, as far as I know, uh, looking at the schedule, in my mind, we've got Florida and Auburn and Tech left, which are all three big rivalry games, and they're all important recruiting games for Georgia. So I think from a recruiting perspective, particularly a Georgia-Florida game is, is important. Um, <laughs> I don't have any high expectations. I don't really – I guess I don't really have a feeling about it one way or another. I mean, that loss against Vandy was just absolutely painful. Um, and I've watched our team this year. You know, at times we've looked good, and at times we look resilient, and at times, you know, we've made some decisions and done some things that just make you beat your head into the wall. So I'm really kind of going into it with no expectations about the score or the outcome or anything else. I mean, I don't know how Florida fans are feeling about it, but – I guess I wouldn't be particularly surprised uh, whoever wins because, frankly, with Georgia, I don't I don't really know who's going to show up. So 
hard question to answer here, given what you just said, but humor us with the prediction score-wise. Ooh, that's tough. Um, if I pick, uh, if I pick Florida, I may never be asked to speak again on behalf of Georgia in any setting. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess I got to pick Georgia. Um, I'm going to say Georgia twenty-one, Florida seventeen. How about that? All right, that's a bold prediction. Well, Robert, thanks for being on the show today. Really appreciate it, and uh, have fun at the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. All right, Will. I hope you'll have a good time, too. It's closing time. Let's take a look at the upcoming slate of games this weekend. There are several good ones. We'll make a few picks, and then we'll have a little random sort of game for the Florida-Georgia game, which last year we did what quarter would the Georgia fans leave the game at. <laughs> and this year we've got another good one. They on left tab. early last year. Yeah, they did. I'm excited about this this question uh, as well. Okay, let's start for undefeated West Virginia at Oklahoma State. West Virginia favored by four. Favored by four. Oklahoma State's five and two. Noon kickoff, which I think is 11 a.m. for West Virginia. Funky little game there. I have not seen West Virginia play for a second, and I feel like Oklahoma State's just kind of average. So I'm going to pick Oklahoma State because I have no rationale other than road game at 11 a.m. I like West Virginia this year. I think they're playing defense better than anybody in the Big 12, which is not a big bar to jump over. But I think they're going to – I don't know. If they win this game, I think they're pretty legit. All right. Pac-12 favorite Washington at also undefeated Utah, right? Utah's got one loss. One loss. One loss, yeah, at 7-1 Utah. What's the line in that game? That is 10 points. 10 points in favor of Washington. A hefty Washington. 10 points. UW has looked great. I'm, I'm all on the Chris Peterson year three train. I've looked at that stat too many times. I don't know if they're going to go undefeated. This will be a tough game for them, potentially. But I'm going to stick with that momentum until it gets curbed otherwise. I like Washington to cover the spread there. I think Utah is going to keep it close enough that they're not going to cover the spread there. That's a tough place to play. Utah is feisty and spunky, but I like Washington to win. Uh, Baylor at Texas. Baylor's first real game, I guess. Only favored by three. Yeah, three thirty p.m. kickoff. Baylor's undefeated. Texas three and four, and you can see what Vegas thinks with a three-point spread in favor of Baylor. I have shorted Baylor in my long short game, which I love to play each year. So I think they're going to fall out of the top twenty-five by the end. Not sure if it starts right now with the Texas game. I think Charlie Strong gets to five hundred, though. I'm going to pick them to win. Not super confident with that one. That's a tough one. I don't know what to think of Baylor. Such a mystery team. Um, yeah, I'm, I might go with you on Texas there. That's an interesting game. Nebraska at Wisconsin. Wisconsin fear by nine. Does that feel kind of high to you? Feels kind of right to me. Nebraska feels like they should have a good rebound year, and they've had that. I don't think they're in Wisconsin's category just yet. They're playing on the road. Wisconsin's just a solid, solid team. I like Wisconsin. Maybe nine points is too much, because if Nebraska loses, they lose by like a point going back all the way to the beginning of last year. I like Nebraska with the points especially, but I even like them to win outright here. I think Wisconsin's a little banged up, missing one of their key defensive players. Auburn, the sudden <laughs> locomotive that is the Auburn Tigers, at Ole Miss, only favored by four. Yeah, you think after coming off just in a complete domination game that you would look at this and say, okay, this is the game where Auburn's going to have a ton of momentum. They're going to win by a lot, and Vegas says, yeah, four points, which illustrates the feisty, feisty nature of Ole Miss. Auburn on the road, different challenge for them. Not sure what to think about this game. I, I don't want to fall prey to like the recency effect. I think this should be a close game and a good game. And I'm going to go with the fact that Old Miss has been unable to win those games with wide out select Auburn. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Auburn 
feels like there's these seasons where they get better and better and better. Like the, you know, some of their national championship seasons. Like you look at the beginning of the season, they were like, they're okay. And they close out just dominating people. It feels like they're on that kind of track. Clemson Tigers at FSU. Mega game here for the ACC. Clemson's favored by four and a half. Does it feel like a close one to you, or do you think Clemson's going to handle them? Clemson's hard to get a read on it, but Florida State's defense has been really alarmingly bad. Clemson offense also sputtered at times. And correct. That's what I was going to say. So your first blush is, oh, Clemson wins this game easy. And then you say, well, Clemson's offense has been inexplicably unproductive at times, too. This could be a really weird game. This feels like a total emotion game, like which team catches the right break at the right time. But Clemson, Clemson should win this game. If they're even remotely for real, they need to win this game. This is not Florida State's year. They've got a lot of things going against them. I'm going to take Clemson in the points for sure. Yeah, I'll take Clemson as well. Um, yeah, the, FSU hasn't shown me anything that they're able to beat a team like Clemson. So, well, I don't. I think it will be a little close. Clemson hasn't, you know, played up to their potential at all. So. And I'm not rooting for Florida State. Anyone out there who thinks you root for Florida State because Florida's get, that that's ridiculous. If Florida wins all their games, they'll make it to the playoff. For sure. Don't don't fall prey to rooting for Florida State <laughs> because you want Clemson to lose. That is stupid. <laughs> well, good advice there. <laughs> UF lines moved to seven and a half. Does that surprise you? No, it's like what we talked about. I felt like the Gators won by more, and clearly the betting action has been pushing it up there, right? The line moves after Vegas releases it because people are taking too much action on the Florida side, and I think a lot of that probably is Florida exuberance and Georgia probably you know, feeling not so good about themselves, and it also could be based on some stats that we talked about. Okay, last wager I'm going to put in front of you. How many Georgia fans will bark like a dog at you? I'm going to set the over-under at 25. Ooh, well, I should be participating in what is one of my buddy's long-term 30-year tailgate traditions. It's at a great spot. They take two RVs down there, drop a DJ. It's a really great tailgate. Because of that, a lot of Georgia fans walk by. It attracts a lot of attention. I expect a lot of barking. Uh, we'll be there for like four hours, I think. I'm going to go with at least like 35 different people barking at me and or the tailgate. So way over. I like it. Way, I'm with you on that. Way over. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, uh, Georgia fans... I. You occasionally see one down on all fours barking at you. That's always a treat. Um, so we'll see how many of those we get. James, I love this week. Um, I'll see you in Jack's hopefully, and then we'll be back on the pod after a big Gator win. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer... <laughs> this might be your new favorite. You're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons' frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.